0: I don't need to see you, it's audio only. Oh, right, okay. Because,
1: that's, that's lucky, I've got a very good face for radio. Oh, so
0: do I. I, I love to, whenever someone in the public eye would say, do you want a photo? I go, no, not with this nose. There's no way. I'm photogenic enough. I've got to balance the boyish phone. Good look, boyish good looks. Precisely. I've got to balance um, the phone on top of lots of Bob Dylan books and then point the phone uh, at a mic and then the mic records onto a machine. So do
1: that, you listen to his... Um, do you listen
0: to his theme time radio shows? I used to. I have to listen to a lot of them because my project this spring is to do with a Dylan a day. I'm trying to write about hundred, well, 400 Dylan songs. And so as I'll, I'll, as I'll write about them, I will listen to them. But I listened to them when they were on radio too. I thought they were incredible. Apparently he never chose the music.
1: No, I mean, I listened to them way back. And, and now I was going to mention the wonders of the internet algorithms and everything you Mm -hmm. you know they pick up on it and on youtube there's hundreds of them there's a website i mean there's literally there's literally i mean i've been i've been listening to them on and off for a number of years but more recently because you know the more you know going back to that the more you the more you use it the more that you know there are I love all that sort of style of music anyway, all the old time. A lot of country stuff. Um, Good man. And, and old, you know, blues as well. So it's it's right up my street. And Dylan's just, he just gets, through that, he just seems to get better and better really.
0: He's unbelievable. And your your son... Harry. It is H, Harry, H, Harry. He's half Spanish. How's his Espanol?
1: My daughter's is better, really, because when she was little and Begonia was talked to her a lot in Spanish, a lot. From the ages from since she was a baby up until the age of about four or five. And then when Harry came along, wife's English had improved so much that she tended not to speak as much Spanish to him. Mm -hmm. But having said that, they're both very good at Spanish and they have interestingly they they, they've signed up since they were little to um they used to be Francis Baker Samuel Ryder do a course, I mean it's organised by the uh, Spanish Embassy in London Right. for anyone who's got one parent who's Spanish they can go and have this free um, Spanish lessons every week for about 10-12 years each and, and they get a diploma when they're 18 so That's we're, we're, you know, well, we're not doing it at the moment, it's sort of online like everything but hopefully they'll be able to get back to that You know, soon when, My- when all this sorts itself out
0: my mum is fluent in French and spent a year in Switzerland, so my French is pretty good. It won't be as good as my yeah. half-siblings. My dad remarried and has three kids with his new wife who was born in France, and they now live on Long Island. But these kids are going to grow up bilingual because the grandparents will speak to them in French and their dad's going to speak to them in French. But it's, it's just useful to have more than one language because it means we can, especially in French, yeah, we, you know, can, we can talk to Etienne Capou and Christian Cavaselli and if you're Spanish, you can talk to, I'm going to get the name right, because I'm going to go yeah, to I the like end I of this oh. book. Uh, the, yeah. the fella I want to mention is Idre Ramon Medir and his son Mark. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah. Well, he's number two to uh, Xavi Garcia, and I speak with him often. Oh, he's good. He's a lovely, lovely bloke. I'll tell you a story about him, actually. If, 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 um, well, I think it's worth telling. We went to see the Burnley game. I don't know whether I mentioned it in the book with him. And he got us tickets in the players' uh, area. Um, so we went along there, me and Harry and uh, Isidre and uh, Mark, his, his son, because they played for the same St. Albans City youth team for, for that season while he was over here. And, and Isidre came, disappeared. And all these people like Kevin Affleck and, and various other people just came straight over to him and tapped them. Patted him on the back and shook his hand and said, "Where? How are you? Where have you been? Really good to see you." And you think, "Wow, you know, that's the sort of the impression he left." And he's a lovely, lovely bloke. Is this really, the chap who really was at nice
0: Barcelona?
1: Boy. He started at Barcelona. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because my wife's from Galicia, mm-hmm. Celta Vigo. Um, uh, well, she hates football, but I've adopted Celta Vigo. As you said, of the course, book. the game, the game on the on Saturday was. Um, against Celta, and uh, and Valencia won it 2-0, two, with goals in the 96th and 98th minute. And if they hadn't have won that game, <gasps> they reckon that um, that would have been it. They'd have got the sack. Mm. So it was by the skin of their, their teeth, really.
0: Yeah, well, that chairman, but, um, we're not going to touch that chairman, who is a character, Peter Lim. He's a character. Yeah, 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 Peter Yeah. That, kind of that. No, he simply said from day one... Um,
1: it's going to be difficult, it's going to be problems, you know, because they're, they're broke and they yes. have to sell off three or four players now, straight you, away. No, was replace very
0: unhappy them. about that over summer.
1: Yeah, it's said very too. So, I, I, you know, I get this sort of background, you know. And interestingly, going back to the Burnley game, Craig Dawson got an injury just before half-time went off. Mm. So, at half-time, and it's nil nil against Burnley. And Isidre said, they're going to struggle now uh, because uh, Dawson organises the whole of the defence. You know, he talks. And, and that's something that a, um, a fan wouldn't pick up on, know. And sure enough, within five minutes of the second half, call, you know, set piece, I think it was a corner, boom, 1-0. And we went on to lose 3-0. Now, Dawson got a lot of stick from, from some of the, the Watford fans for being, oh, useless, he's no good, blah, blah, blah. But when you get close to it, he's valued because of the communication side. And
0: that's very important. I didn't know until I looked it up. It came through at Man City. And if you get pro terms at Man City, you're not going to be terrible. But for some reason, and a lot of my friend Paul Tucker really did like him, but I think just because Watford weren't doing so well under Gracia last season. My Gracia story is that we'd just beaten Chelsea 4-1, or rather Chelsea had contrived to get Conte sacked. And lost 4-1. And I sat a couple of days later in the Costa, in the Harlequin Centre, look up and there with his wife and kids, it's the manager. I say nothing because you you never approach someone when they're with family. But it was just nice to see in a domestic environment, just the football manager who was off work. And his family had obviously either they lived in Russia or they had to communicate with him when he lived in Russia. But they were in Hertfordshire and they were really settled, and the club were going really well, and got to the FA Cup final. And the book does mention the FA Cup final at the very very yeah very yeah long. yeah I
1: was there actually I was working for a local paper in Bushy then so I got I got um, I got a free a freebie there and it was in the press box but I think I touched on it that. I'd much rather have been in in with the the supporters really because um, that, that's where you can really get the atmosphere. It was a bit cold for me. Um, yeah. i sort of got a good view of uh, Andy Gray um, assaulting Shirley Sherwood for that uh, for that second goal, but that was a bit uh, hard to take. But um, and, and they could have won that game with a little bit of luck. We had two 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 or three good chances early on and they just didn't, you know, it just went, Les Taylor had a good shot that, that missed by about a foot. Yeah. You know, uh, it's on another day, you
0: know. It, well, absolutely. I was not there uh, because I wasn't born, but I hear, I uh, <laughs> since heard that we Watford treated it like a wedding. People would dress up. The woman would go to accompany their husbands. Elton obviously went uh, with his boater. And it was a day for the town because Everton were so far ahead um, in terms of quality. And yet Watford had that spirit, albeit without Luther Blissett, who provides a forward to your book, From Father to Son, How Fate and Family Made Me a Watford Fan. And it's got a great right. cover, uh, published by Pitch, but you probably know that, 1699. And it's got Harry on the front, Luther's on the front. Is that Ron Rollett at the bottom? It's
1: Ken Furphy. That,
0: sorry, that's, that is Ken the great Ken yeah, Furphy. But,
1: yeah, I've got an interesting story that, um, about that. I didn't put it in the book. I was coming back from St Lucia in about 1985 on the plane, and the bloke who sat next to me, if memory serves, was involved with Pelé. He was quite close. He was part of his management team for a short while when he was up uh, playing for New York Cosmo. Pelé got Ken Furphy the sack there because they had a difference of opinion. About something and Pele being Pele was a big either, and and this bloke said, but he regretted what he said and how he treated Ken Furphy. He realised he didn't do the right thing and he wasn't very nice.
0: I wonder if Ken Furphy features got in the f-
1: boot really?
0: I wonder if Ken Furphy features in this film that's just gone onto Netflix today about Pele. Yeah,
1: I was wondering that. I saw that it was. Oh, they got a big spread about it in the Observer on uh, on Sunday. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it looks good. But it doesn't come out of that very well, Pele. He just ignored—he he ignored the political stuff that was going on, didn't he? And in Brazil, at that sort of that time. That's my understanding. Yeah, he, but couldn't, I mean, as a,
0: he couldn't have on. done it now. He—he he would have to have. well, I call it capernicking. You have to take a social stand. But with Pele, this Netflix thing, you—you you have to engage with social issues, and that is something that the great GT did. Um, you were probably a bit old, but I, I've read about Anne Swanson, who um, was one of the unsung heroes. You actually devote a chapter to the unsung heroes, including the tea lady.
1: Is it Molly? Oh, Molly, Molly Rush, yeah. Yeah, and yeah these... she was... She, she was. I mean, I, I remember she had a... I seem to remember it was an area just by by the, the main stand there, the old main stand. We knew it as Molly Rush's, but she actually was more than that, in that she... She 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 provided you know tea and um, and cakes and everything when there was a board meeting and things like that. So, but I, she probably had a, a a dual role anyway. But yeah, you, you knew the tea, you knew who the tea lady was. It's great. <laughs> those were the days. Yeah,
0: those, those were indeed the days. And I imagine that was where the bend was, where Elton John sat as a kid.
1: Well, I was there for the for the years. I said for the game when they beat. When they beat Liverpool, and then Dean got that, you know, headed, yep. head, great headed goal past uh, the flying pig, Tommy Lawrence, <laughs> and uh, but Ray Lugg in that game, if you look at it again, I mean, he, he had a blinder, but and again, he, he, he didn't stay at what for very long, and I don't think he stayed anywhere very long, but he just had a little period where he was just on fire, you know, but but he didn't really, he wasn't, well, he wasn't consistent. But the other thing is, you you know, you you see the state of the pitches more like um, the beach when when the tide's gone out, you know, some of them, you know, dreadful. But it's amazing they played much football at all, but they, you know, it's, it's how it was.
0: That's why they just lugged, sorry for the pun, they just lugged it in the air. I'm desperately trying to flick to the <laughs> Ray Lug chapter because he's, he's an unsung hero. I'd never heard of him and he he's like a super sub.
1: Yeah, well, Rodney Green was the super sub and that's the thing that, I, I, again, i Rodney Green, he's up, he's down, he's in the Rose That's, and Crown. Okay. Rodney Green, Rod, okay. And and, and and it was picked up in his local paper in Halifax. You know, when when he died, the obit and everything in the in the Halifax Chronicle or whatever it was, recites the song. You know, the Watford song. We're up and down, he's in the Rose and Crown because he did like a pint or two, and he was a super sub. I think in the season when we when we went up, sixty, probably
0: sixty nine. Sixty nine, the only yeah. trophy.
1: And a character, by you know, by all accounts, are, you know, a good, good bloke, a real character. Do but, you uh...
0: do you know my great uncle Clive Walters? He started going to Watford in the mid '60s. He's uh, early '70s now.
1: No, I don't
0: know. He he used to work for Rayner Essex, firm of accountants, very near Clarence Park. Right. And Clive is now an ambassador for St. in City. Who obviously, oh uh, yeah,
1: had a tough I know season. Lawrence. I know. Lawrence Levy from from business, um, who's chairman who's now, chairman? and with John McGowan, who who's, uh, runs a number of pubs, I think. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, I know those two. And Lawrence, um, I did phone Lawrence when briefly St. Organs was top of the table a few weeks ago, uh, just to congratulate him. And it was great because he, he just um, he came out with all this football speak, you know. Yes, well, it's good, but, you know, we're taking each game as it comes. That's what you have to do. Just, and I, just said to Lawrence, I said to him, great football speed, Lawrence, you're, you're doing well.
0: <laughs> I think that's the closeness to Ian Allenson, who is the, the gaffer there, and also the guy who books the function room when, right. when there's stuff that goes on. So St Albans, I feel more of an affinity now to St Albans City, although Watford have done amazing things in the last year. Um, apart from the last week, the football has been so-so. Hiring and firing Nigel Pearson was not a good thing. And um, since
1: but this... was it true he... Was it Adam Messina, was it, or something? He, he hit him or head by him or something?
0: Allegedly, I don't want to confirm or deny. I'm sure Messina no, will I, tell you in confidence.
1: Well, that's a story I heard. But, I mean, you can imagine... And I like Nigel Pearson. I didn't really like him before, but I thought he was he was very good. But but you've but you got this idea bubbling under the surface. Even when you, when you saw his press interviews and everything, bubbling up under the surface, there was this... It was like you're waiting for the explosion. Mm-hmm. Did, did, you know, did you get that, or is it just no, me? No, that's
0: absolutely true. I think, well, everyone remembers the ostrich thing. Are you an ostrich? Have you got your head in the sand? But he's a, mm. a smart guy with a big knowledge of history, and B... Terrible year. I think he lost a parent and another was ill with COVID right. and he got COVID and then he got fired. And now, as we speak yesterday, uh, he's been appointed by Stephen Lansdowne as the Bristol City manager. And mark my words, if Bristol City don't go up this season, they will go up next season because he's done it before. He'll do it again. Although we were very lucky the other week. Uh, to meet a Bristol City who were woefully out of form. I saw the mm. highlights. They couldn't defend. It was like they're trying to get the manager sacked. Um, did you watch it on the iFollow?
1: Oh, I did. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I watched it. And um, all of a sudden, I mean, Sars on fire, isn't he? Yeah. And um, and these and with Semenya, they're, they're linking up really well. I mean, I've always liked Ken, Ken Semmer, and He's back now, and and Will Hughes. Hughes. Uh, I mean, he's the boy you need. In in the championship, make
0: him the captain. He's just what you want. He's a, he's
1: going back to Dennis Booth and Terry Garbett and Roger Jocelyn Les Taylor, and, and he, maybe even Kenny Jackett too. You know, they're mm. just with a bit more skill, obviously, with a bit, well, a lot more skill. Craig Ramage, I mean, he, Ramage who also yeah. came from Derby. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shout. But but he's. You know, he's such he's such a good footballer. You know, and and ideal for that league. You know, it's a slog, isn't it?
0: And yes, absolutely. And he's learning from one of the best, the boy T C, who has really sensibly said Watford's my club because he grew up in Bradford. He's Yorkshire, so he signed for Manu because they were the best team. When cleverly plays, it shows.
1: One of the reasons I didn't go into the modern, I mean, I only only covered it in the book was was from Harry's perspective and those games. But I just thought, well, if you go into it, they're not going to—they're not going to buy into the book, you know. They're not going to want it in the shops and everything. You have to—it's almost like—but it's you just wonder how what they're thinking of, how they're operating. Well, the that was—that
0: I mean, was going to be my question. What is Watford Football Club now? Because we know what it was because Graham Taylor defined it, and Elton John, who's still the club president, but Elton has a hotline to the manager. He—I d- imagine Nigel Pearson would have got on well with him. But what do you think Elton is? Asking the managers.
1: He's quite cute and and, um, and knows what he's talking about, but I don't know... I don't know whether he's has He's not going to have any influence over them at all, is he?
0: Oh, no, not I influence, don't. just kind of a vested interest in the fortunes as a, an honorary executor.
1: Well, the, well, the Pozzo's seem they're just ruthless, aren't they? Why did they appoint that Illich guy? Because if the guy was... He looked like he was a, a rabbit in the... In the headlights, didn't he? He, he? he was grumpy. He never smiled. And we got, we got, um, we got the new boy in there. He doesn't stop, yeah. stop laughing and smiling. So bipolar. So can he, how can he get around this situation? And can he get? What's he need to get a certificate? Because you know he's just letting them play, isn't he? Now, uh, yes, and that's got... so
0: we we've had three great results in a row, including the six nothing uh, earlier this season. We demolished. Was it Preston? We demolished four one, and then we. Uh, Demolish Luton as well, 1-0.
1: <laughs> Thrashed them one Thrashed
0: nil one in. a 1-0 thrashing, uh, which we hope to do so again. I think this will go up around the time Watford play Luton again. This is due to go at the end of March, so after right, the international okay. break. And we are plugging from father to son, how fate and family made me a Watford fan. Uh, fate, because you grew up in North Hertfordshire. Uh, was it Brickett Wood you grew up in?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mount pleasant lane. My yeah. mum
0: told me today that it's gorgeous, gorgeous walks, gorgeous castles. Everything near St Albans is gorgeous.
1: Yeah, it's well. It was midway between Watford and St Albans, so sometimes my mum would do her shopping in St Albans, and sometimes more often uh, Watford. So I, I had that sort of um, affinity with Watford from very, very early, and then that was compounded when my dad took you know my dad took me along there when I was six years old. Yeah. Not knowing, couldn't see a thing, but, you know, that you're bitten. You know.
0: And there is a great chapter in that. It's the 66-67 season. So did you say Terry Garbutt, he was the star at the time?
1: Well, when I saw them... Uh, when you pretty, could see them. Was, when I couldn't see them, I was so small. That first game against Coventry, um, that was Bobby Bell and uh, Dave Underwood in goal. Don't think Cliff Holton was there. He'd left. Sammy Chung. Mm-hmm. Um so so that was pre-Terry Garbutt by about three or four years, I'd guess. But I didn't go again after that until I was, you know, until 66, 67, I should think, when I started going sort of independently when I was about 12 years old. Mm. But, um, yeah, so that's, um, yeah, Terry Garbutt was, uh, you know, my, my sort of favourite player. I've always, I've probably mentioned it in the book, I've always had an affinity and, and, a, and a respect for
0: midfield players. Yeah, you, there's I a great quotation. I just wanted to find it. That you love the aggression, passion, creativity and the ability to keep it simple. Don't forget, the ability to keep it simple. And that's what the best midfielders did.
1: Well, they do, they've got it. I mean, you look at Core, I mean, the guy...
0: He never gives the ball away.
1: He, he gives the ball away, <laughs> but he, he covers... He covers so much ground, you know, and the fact that I think I heard a quote from him. He just said, "From from since he was little, he just loved running. I mean, he could have been a, a, a mid, you know, a mid-distance runner. It seems, you know, and he, and he just can, he just covers so much ground with those long legs, you know, and 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 why? It, all right, he does give the ball away occasionally, but why would someone like Ancelotti play him every? He's more or less at the moment. I don't think he's missed a game this
0: mm, season. He's always I always team,
1: look, yeah. You always look out for him. I mean, he might get subbed or something. But there's a reason for that. He's just—he's worth another, you know, half a, half a player because of the ground he covers.
0: And isn't that a credit to the scouting network that Liverpool were interested and Watford paid for him half a season in advance, shipped him to Granada, and he came in and um, was one of the stars of the latter-day Premier League era because Watford could afford these players. Uh, Kapoor and Decore, and well, before that it was Abdi, but watching Decore and Capu on their day, Dictator Game, was good for the brand.
1: I think the only thing that happened that I saw, I thought they they both played more of a defensive role. I, I'd have liked to have seen, out of the two of them, I'd have liked to have seen Decore get up in an attacking role a little bit more now maybe he couldn't because of the circumstances you know we, we were sometimes struggling a little bit but he he looked as if he could get onto the end of you know end for those runs and, and and a little bit more often but they were they were a very good um, duo those two I mm. mean the way Kapu used to ping those balls out wide you know like an arrow weren't they I mean it was just
0: we were it was just great
1: to see yeah.
0: spoiled by Kapu One thing that I've noticed, you know how nowadays every club has its racist fan base? I don't think there's one racist fan who supports Watford. All the criticism on social media is at the player and their inability to do what they're paid to do, not the colour of their skin. And I imagine the guy who wrote the foreword to your book has something to do with that, together with John Barnes.
1: I mentioned it in the book, in the acknowledgements. I got given this, and I've got it in front of me now. It's just great football history, newspaper headlines, and it's the mirror back pages, really, going back from to mm-hmm. the 1920s up to, I don't know, probably about 1990-something. Or Hang on, I'm just having a look. Oh, wow. And there's one thing here. I just, I've been looking at it for about half an hour before. We, we, <laughs> Sorry to talk, interrupt but, you. <laughs> but no, no, listen, listen to this, right? This is 1960. Watford 1, Southampton nil. Uh, attendance 27,925, and it's got for some reason an FA Cup game uh, okay, receipts for, for, for nearly 28,000 people, £3,158. <laughs> so mm. that's like they're, they're getting in for like 10 pence or something, 15 pence, I think. Unless they average. lifted
0: over the wall onto yeah, the Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. A lot of people went through the fence and everything, but yeah, for little things like that, you know, it's, it's great. Going back to Luther playing uh, in that game at Old Trafford at 78. I'll tell you the great picture of him heading, heading the goal in. But um, he got a lot of racist abuse. But Jack Steggles, right? This is the opening part. Luther Blissett rammed the cruel taunts of the Old Trafford crowd back down their throats last night by blasting the goals that carried third division Watford to the most famous victory in their history.
0: Yeah.
1: Second par, Blissett, the target of savage abuse from moronic fans who took exception to his black skin let the senseless jibes ride over him be- before producing the most devastating answer possible in this league cup clash now and, and, and he later goes to a little little panel there um that uh, quotes from Blissett that it didn't let him bother him but it must have affected him uh because he's he, he's crusading still for mm-hmm. e- you know for equality within football and so, so is john you know, and the same with yeah same with jb yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. You know, this is about 40 years, 35, 40 years later, you know. It's astonishing, really.
0: Yeah, and with Man United, there are two uh, appearances by United in your book, From Father to Son. One is the incident where I really felt sorry for you, when you were beaten up by Manchester United fans.
1: Yeah, but they were cheeky, though. One of them, they ran off with a scarf, and then these other guys came up and... uh, had stolen it, that the older hooligans had stolen it off the younger hooligans and came back to to sort of say, we're not all hooligans, and then ran off with it, you know, laughing. So that that was my first introduction to Northern humour. Oh, the japes,
0: (laughs) the japes of the time. Uh, But more happily, you went with your mum to Old Trafford Uh, in 1981.
1: That's the one, one, no, that's the 78 one when we saw Luther, when we beat him to one. Yeah, the only time she saw Watford play and she must have thought all football matches were like that you know i mean what a record
0: <laughs> one and one they you at the back of the book as well as the six players and the cult heroes there are six games uh one of which is Watford 7 Southampton 1 in the yeah, league yeah. cup oh, yeah Watford 7 it's very i i was at the Blackpool game remember when Blackpool went two up and then at half time was it um Not Gracia, the one before him, Djukanovic. Oh, yeah. Must have politely said, come on, you can do better than this. And Nigalo scored four and it was just the most unbelievable second half. I suppose the same kind of disbelief must have been over you. Was this the game where you lost your shoe, the 7-1? Oh, no,
1: that was the blooming Liverpool game. No, the Liverpool game in the... (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. That was funny. No, that was the Liverpool game when it was nil nil, I think. That right. was probably that was probably in about sixty seven, I think. I would have been about 11, 11 or twelve then, oh, yeah. I had these slip on shoes, yeah. And everybody kept everybody left the ground at the same time. And I was dragged along, you know, in with the crowd. I mean it's that that sort of thing doesn't happen. Doesn't now. happen in the
0: be crowd control.
1: There's all the crowd control, yeah, but I mean I I, I went about 300, 400 yards just you know, um, without walking, just being carried along it's with a our big, crowd.
0: Big wide was, road, Vicarage Road itself. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. It's
0: incredible. But yeah, the eighty League Cup match against Southampton. Have you seen a better?
1: Uh, that's a game. I think. Well, I think we were at our peak then. I mean, the plan was. I think GT said, "You know, let's get a couple of goals. Let's let's see if we can get a couple of goals early on, and, and, and just treat it as another game." And if we can get a couple of goals in front uh then we, we'll go from there and of course they they did more than that they they got they got a goal i think in the something like the fifteenth twentieth minute, and then another one soon after i'm not quite sure what the half time score was i'm just having a look at the report now I think we were four you know nil up yeah, that
0: rings about
1: uh half time you know and then went on. Yeah, you know, it was seven five on aggregate. You know, yeah, it was it was a stunning, uh, yeah. stunning performance. We, you know, we just it summed up really. If there's one game that was sum sum up, you know, Graham Taylor's management skills. I guess it was probably that one really. Keegan was injured there, so they were probably short of Kevin Keegan. Southampton was short of him, but apart from that, it was brilliant. Yeah, and and of course, the old electronic scoreboard that was fairly new then was sort of going. Barmy, you know. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, because I was down, you know, I was down, down the Vicarage Road in then, uh, in those days, so I was probably standing under, under the thing, so you couldn't really see it, but yeah, so they say.
0: There are a couple of wonderful chapters in this book, um, and they focus on books and just your love of football itself. I wanted to ask, because this is the football library, and you do get your football library card, Sabutio, Christmas 1966, that must have been the toy of the year given what happened in summer 1966 from what i've yeah, heard yeah. um but I, I love that cat stops play that you, you yeah, have yeah, to work can, around everything
1: it's true it's all true I, I know it sounds it seems trivial now but it was very important and very funny of course you know and uh with all the commentary and everything but the cat would um be, almost be another player you know just sort of messing up the whole game uh, that and the We're sticking them back together again.
0: Yeah, the kneeling uh, on the Sabutio <laughs> pitch. It was a world before Pro Evolution and FIFA. But the, I used to do this. I used to make up my own commentary. And I think that's why Britain clings to its commentators. Because they're doing a job that anyone can do. It's very hard to do well. Yeah, Sabutio at Christmas. And then you start to get given Charles Buckins Football Monthly.
1: Yeah, that was... Uh... Have you still got them? No, I haven't. I will tell you, they've all gone. And I tell you, I had a collection of football programmes um, that used to, I used to send off for. Well, I collected all the Watford ones, but then that you could get the mail order, and you could have a Manchester United versus somebody, and then they'd send you another ten uh, from from the lower leagues. And I and I had, and it just got out of hand yeah, I when I imagine. was about eighteen or nine. Maybe later, maybe when I was in my early twenties. And I just gave them to the. I gave them to Watford, and I sort of hindsight. <laughs> I thought I should have kept them all. You know, really. Well, you should have um, donated
0: them to the football library because, as well as books, we have programmes and DVDs. Well,
1: well, I should have done if I'd i if have known. I say hindsight is a wonderful. It is thing. always. But but um, yeah, so in a way, this book I've just but all the press cuttings has sort of replaced it. That and old Watford website, which I mentioned uh, in the acknowledgements, is a great is a great website. Um, you can delve into that. And, uh, and, and not only for the football and the facts and everything, but you've got these programmes in there from those days. And I, I just like looking at the adverts that are within the programme. You're not, not the only time one. With the graphics and, the, you know... Yeah,
0: um, it's evocative, for
1: sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, but I'm I'm particularly um, impressed that you've mentioned a book that I've not heard of. It's football colon the Golden Age by John Tennant. It seems to be the jewel in the crown of your collection of football. Oh books. no,
1: that's the photographic book. Yeah, that's uh, it's 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 pretty much ninety percent pictorial. Yeah, black and white, going back from the thirties. Yeah, that's in the that's in the shed. I've got present books indoors, and the shed is the sort of all the all the all the rest really, and I occasionally go in and swot them all around, you know, because we haven't got space for all of them. Yeah, no books. Are, that's a great book. It's got some fantastic photos in it. That's where I got hold of the the, the quote from Arthur Hopcraft um, about how how football is not just. A, he he remembers his first game, and he spent more time trying to choose the right rosette, you know, and these things sort of stay with you it's not necessarily watching a football game it's it's everything else that's going on you know getting there and surrounding the game which is absolutely true you know
0: that's a question i'd love to ask everyone along with what poster did you have on your wall um what yeah what's more exciting the 90 minutes where you kick a ball about or the what is it i can't do the maths quickly enough but i used to be able to do it. it's like 1000 outside Ah. of it You're anticipating it or looking back over it, which is why football is just it's constant because it's either pre during or post and Mm. social media makes it instant and it shortens the time that people are angry. But when you were younger, what what did you have? You had the football pinks coming out at the whistle.
1: Yeah, and then yeah, just yeah. the pub. Well, one, uh, one that just, just reminded me, that there was a bloke outside the ground who who, who would sell you the paper and you'd have on, on the classified down one side of the back page, you'd have the half-time scores. That's all you'd get, the half-time scores. But this bloke used to shout out, and it, and my brother interpreted it, because you couldn't understand what the hell they said, because I think the two Ronnies did a skit on that, or something, Morny <laughs> Stannett. Uh and now that's about the name of the paper, you know, no one could understand it. But my brother interpreted it as, um, I have to do it in a song, all your early evening, half-time, I don't know what the last one, all your early evening, half-time, us or something. We didn't never knew what the last word was. but It might have been chronic, I don't know, but it was like a song. You know how they used yeah. to shout out in these newspapers? Yeah, I just remember that now. It's uh, yeah. So nothing to do, really, with, with the game or... But, yeah. but it's um yeah it's part of the whole uh, the whole deal really. We are yeah.
0: we're blessed nowadays. Watford have a big representation in the media. Are you a from the rookery end listener?
1: Um, I've been in the rookery. The problem with the rookery in the old days was the steps were very very shallow, so you couldn't really unless you got to the front, uh, and you were sort of 14 oh, 30 yeah, point years shot. old. Yeah. You couldn't see you couldn't see you could see very very little. No, the, this is. That,
0: this is a Watford podcast by three chaps in their early 40s who have been going to Watford for years and they started off 10 years ago and they would, Sean Dice would give them the time of day <laughs> uh, and they've had dinner with Troy Deeney, they've had chats with Lloydy, and they're now affiliated with The Athletic, where Adam Leventhal writes regular
1: columns about... Ah, uh, yeah, well, Daniel Taylor went there, didn't he? The yeah. great
0: the great Danny Taylor, who doesn't get sung as a writer outside of football as often as he should, because Danny broke the crew story of, of the pederasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. of course, good link... Uh, he worked on I Believe in Miracles, which is one of the best football yeah. films. And it's the last film that you mentioned in a really good... It would work as a standalone as well. It's a chapter, yeah. football on film and TV, which quotes football crazy in, in whole. That must have been a very fun um, chapter to write.
1: Oh, yeah. It was one of the... I mean, I, I, the background... I, I wrote the book in the first lockdown, and it was surpri- over about three or, No, about a four-month period, really, every day... Getting up at seven o'clock and writing till probably three o'clock, or researching, and yeah, it was such it was such great fun. Even the even the research. I mean, a, f- a funny thing is Jimmy Armfield had um, some programmes on Radio Five Live, and that's where I got some of the information for for the Johnny Haynes' piece. And Jimmy Greaves is quoted in the in the England game against Italy. I, I use that, and, and but it's so much better when you listen to Jimmy Greaves. Uh, he's actually sort of describing it when when we we nicked the a uh, friendly friendly against Italy pre nineteen sixty two World Cup, and we I think we won it with we two one down and with about two or three minutes left, and, and we got they got two late goals. And Johnny sort of created uh, the, the winner with Jimmy Greaves. Just sort of, he shot, and Jimmy Greaves finished it up, finished it off, you know, and then. And Greaves described Johnny Haynes at the final whistle. There's, 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 there's rocks and coins and they're going barmy, the Italians, having, you know, been lost. And so Johnny Haynes decides to do a lap of honour <laughs> and Jimmy Greaves is describing it. And it's just so, so funny. you know. But Jimmy Greaves, incidentally, used to live just up the road from us in, in Harpenden. Yeah. Of course he would have
0: done,
1: yeah. And, and uh, he was there for a few years. And uh, and I knocked on his door once, just to sort of say hello, because he was in the house that I'd been in before, because the previous owner was a friend of my, a friend of my wife, a Spanish girl. Uh, so I went, so I knew the house. I went in there, tapped on the door, and he, and he had a ch- quick chat with him. And then about two or three years later. He moved back out to Essex or something, and the, the reason was he just fed up with people knocking on his front door and asking was right. questions, and I, and I thought, oh, I was one of those.
0: <laughs> Jimmy Greaves um, at the time, and I've, I've since done the research, I've, I put him, I think it's him or Dennis Law, I put at number nine when I do um, a list of <laughs> 11 players pre-Bosman that you put in a best 11. I put John Barnes on the wing. You get one mm-hmm. personal yeah. pick.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, John Barnes would, is is well. I mentioned again. He gets a lovely tribute from Jamie Carragher. Regarded by a lot of people at Liverpool as their best player. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Barnes. And he, and he was special. He was so. You know, when he first got to Watford, first sort of few months, no one knew of him. He mm. was. He was. On, you know, he had he had all the tricks. Yeah, everything, as Whereas, even as a seventeen-year-old.
0: Nowadays, know. two two minutes of pro football and you get splashed a forty million pound payment. I think the Mm-mm. the way that you sum up the pre-Bosman era is John Barnes stayed at Watford for ten years, and the second he left, Graham Taylor left because the whole because there was no European football at the time, and Liverpool just only used thirteen players. The modern squad game dictates that Watford. Oh dear. Um, Watford have that's the car almost crashing over there like a fullback, um, right. but nowadays Watford have to have three or four right backs, three three centre yeah. backs, three for every position. But in those days, you've got three games a week using twelve players. Today, Watford have got three games a week, and we have we can use eighteen.
1: Well, we're going back to Graham Taylor. I mean, I think I think when he wanted to give up was when he he. he He didn't, you know, all the agents that were involved, and he and he he, he was a very much hands-on manager, wasn't he? He could deal with the players, but when agents started running the show, I think I'm putting two and two together. I might be getting it wrong, but I think that was probably one of the final straws for him. You know, um, he couldn't handle that. He was he was very anti, uh, you know, very anti-agents. So that was a that was a turning point, I think, for the GT back back then.
0: You mentioned the 1953 England-Hungary game that you watched, and that's a, a very good piece on that. But you also spotlight Kez looking for Eric and escape to victory. Have you watched all these three films with Harry?
1: No, I'm so, Harry's sadly let me down. I'm trying, trying to get either of my children to read a book. It's very, very difficult. And it's a very, it's a sad, I'm just hoping that they'll fall in line, you know, sooner rather than later.
0: I didn't read at that I, age. I didn't read at 11.
1: No, no, um, I didn't either, to be truthful. I mean, I only read when, when I was probably about 15, 16, because of the teachers, two teachers of school who I mentioned in the book, and they turned me on to literature, you know, John Steinbeck, Dylan Thomas, Roger McGough, po- you know, the Liverpool poet, Clive James in The Observer, Hugh McElvenny, James Cameron, was like a hero, uh, you know. You can look up Cameron Country. He did. He went onto the TV as well. Fantastic journalist, you know. Catch twenty two. Mm. I read that last year. In.
0: You also um, talk about how. Uh, you were Bricketwood's answer to Nobby Stiles. I lo- Can you tell me the anecdote, or tell the listener about the wine tasting oh, evening when you went to Worms? Oh,
1: oh yeah, well that's, that was that was true, and it's just uh, so funny. But yeah, no, the the contact lens one was um, Man City supporter, who, who was uh, one of my an ex player at St Albans Wanderers. I think that was his first game um, meeting against with me. He was playing for another side, and and I, all of a sudden my fellow. On my knees, and he's and then Jeff thought I, he fouled me, and he thought he was going to get a, you know, a booking or something, you know. And he said, "Ref, I'm twenty yards, you know, ten yards away from me. But it ended up that all twenty-two players and the referee were crowded, grounded round near, near the edge of the penalty area, trying to find my contact lens and yeah. dropped out And um, and Jeff described it as, you know, it's almost like a religious experience all down on our knees you know if anyone walking their dog came past <laughs> yeah. Westminster Lodge in St Albans they would just sort of think it was some sort of religious sect you know <laughs> uh, worshipping the stars or something you know but yeah it, it was a very funny story and well written by you know well recounted by Jeff
0: Watts. You do play it but you realise quite quickly you're better off with a pen and you become a, a journalist and then a comms consultant yeah. Um. But I know what your next book is, and I'd love to know how you're going to write it, because... Uh, it's
1: tricky, yeah. I've it's got very some, tricky. I've got two in the pipeline, two ideas in the pipeline. I've got to finish off the the grassroots football one, probably first, which is three-quarters done, but I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I need to get back to that one. But the follow-up from scratch, I'm either going to do something on local derbies, um, or, and the one I really want to write is, is on the communicator's Going back to what you mentioned, those people like David Coleman, and I mention them in the book. Um, Jimmy Hill, but more so the writers. I'm talking about um, Brian Glanville. I'm talking about John Arlott. Yeah. I'm talking about Richie Benner in cricket, Dan Maskell in, in Henry Longhurst, and Peter Allis in golf. You know, they're they're, they're of their time, but they're they're very they're very good communicators.
0: This is very um, interesting. Sorry, I'm speaking to Steve Hill on Thursday. Who's written a book yeah. called Wall of Sport? And one of my questions to him is going to be, "Who's the voice nowadays?" Because in those yeah. days you had the voice. Because now the we voice, have a plurality but... of voices.
1: Yeah. Well, Motti used to be, you know, one of the voices, wasn't he? And he's a local. You know, he's he was Redbourne and and <laughs> St Albans for a long time.
0: Big, big um, friend of Graham Taylor's, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. There's so many of them now. Um, I'm not saying they're not any good, but. Um, Yes, you're right. It was. Well, that, that sums up football, doesn't it? There's so many. There's more players, so there's, there's more games and there's more content. Yeah,
0: and some of them, I'm afraid, are no good. And it annoys me. Um, but someone like Pat Nevin or Chris Waddle, you know that I'm, I'm really excited to read Pat Nevin's book. Well,
1: Pat Pat Nevin is excellent. And I'll tell you who else I like. Uh, Glenn Hoddle's very good. Yeah. and I, um, He was always very good. I mean, it just talks sense, you know. Alan Hansen was, was great. Um, Mark Ronson, and then he—he—he's he, he, got some some sort of attitude that you know doesn't sort of come across. Yeah, he's like a mercenary
0: he, now. He's just—he's grateful for the money.
1: Yeah, I mean Alan Hansen had class, and he's probably—and he probably got out, you know, at the right time. Really, he was very good. Gary Linck is good. Alan Shearer, to me, is um. Um, I thought, oh, when he first started, I thought he's going to get out of that, but he just sort of drones on and on and on and I can't, and I'm just waiting for the, for the pauses all the time and oh. I just can't, I can't listen to him, but I, he is a shame. gradually getting better, but
0: he's, you forget he's of, of the last 30, 35 years, the most successful striker in English football. And so he does give that wisdom, uh, but it's a different game even from then, um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to see either of those books, in particular the one about the voice of or the writer of. But Saturday Afternoons and Sunday Mornings will be the next one. If it's three quarters written, do you hope to smuggle it out later this year? I know Pitch have a lot of books coming out this year, including, in a couple of days as you hear this, Michael Calvin will be a Pitch author.
1: All right. Well, I got into Pitch, interestingly enough, through John Berry, a Birmingham fan, who's had a couple of books now published by pitch and, and I, I had I, I was thinking about before i started writing writing it I, I quizzed john berry you know who, for publishers really and he said well I, i'm with pitch just uh, write 400 words send it off you know a resume of what you want to do and um and see what happens and he's he said rather cockily he said um you probably have about a 5% chance of, you know, it being accepted. <laughs> so I thought, oh, well, bugger that, I'm still going to have a go. So I, I, I laid it all out about a week later, five days later. They said, oh, yeah, this is going to be 250 pages, a paperback. They said, a paperback first. Uh, we like it, you know. Can you get it finished by September, you know? And this was sort of May or something. And I said, yeah, sure. Okay. And it was it as simple, well, it was as easy as that, you know, so... I was quite surprised. I was quite you know, surprised. It's since changed to a hardback, um, for, for whatever reasons. Maybe, maybe because I mean the cover is. I'm pleased with the cover. It's uh, it sort of stands out. It's very, it's colourful, and it works nicely. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know whether that came into it, but it was originally going to be a you know a paperback, as I say. But the powers that be a pitch, They said no. We're going to make it hardback.
0: And it it um, goes into the Watford the. Burgeoning Watford section of the football library, along with the Tales from the Vicarage books. Did you get along to any of the Tales from events at the Palace?
1: No, I didn't. But I did um, like Lionel Burney's book, Enjoy the Game. And I did that, and, um it's, it's a great book. Um, you know, it's got and Tom Wally. You know, yeah. give me more Tom Wally. You know, another legend who talks talks a lot of sense.
0: Still with certainly us. About the,
1: certainly about the you know the Academy and the Youth System.
0: Well that's is... the book that I want to write. I'm not making it secret now. I do want to pitch <laughs> my book about the FA Youth Cup, which is coming to seventy uh, years. The, yeah, yeah. the Busby Babes won it first of all. And then there was a wild period where no team won it in consecutive years for about twenty years. And then came the Fergie fledglings, the Chelsea geniuses. Man, Man City, Liverpool now, and it's all about money. But i think the purity of youth football in that era. There'd be stories. John Henderson's written this book when footballers were skint. I think um, this would be an amazing book to write. And-
1: yeah, you're right. You're right. And and the other thing, I mean, when it's probably the early eighties, used to go along to Woodside. Where Watford, yeah, the Watford, juniors, they won it. South, south, yeah, southeast counties, and uh, went over to see a couple of their games over there. And Tom Wally was running, and you just and you did, you heard the bloke before you saw it. And you go, Lucas, Luca, what are you doing, boy? But the thing was, watching there, and you're on the touchline like you would be, you know, from, from the um, three or four yards from the touchline you know there's no rope around it or anything so you get up close and these boys put in a challenge you know right under your nose and it was you know a real 50 50 challenge full on and you realize then and these are 16 year old boys you think that's what it takes to you know i'll never forget it that's what it takes to be a you know an aspiring professional footballer i think it's the
0: best bit of the best bit of your book, From Father to Son, is is it six or seven pages about Tom Wally and just the dedication that he takes um, to the pastoral care about it? You can see why Barry, uh, what's the chap's name? Barry Bennell. He just gives that such a bad name because there are figures like Tom Wally who have a, a father, a, yeah, a paternal, avuncular relationship. It's so easy to abuse, and Tom has the interests of the club, not his own demons at heart. And someone no, yeah, like Tom no. Wally deserves he deserves the, the statue next to Graham Taylor because he's one of Watford's top five no, figures. No,
1: absolutely, absolutely. He won't yeah, accept fully, it. Fully agree with that, yeah. And having sort of got that close to, not to Tom, in just that one incident over at Woodside... You know, he he was. You know, I know legend. The word legend is is bandied about left, right, and centre these days. But for Tom Wally, you know, was and is in my in my eyes a Watford legend. You know, still. You know, I, I, again they don't make them like that anymore.
0: Furphy, know? Taylor, Wally, Blissett, Barnes, Troy yeah. is never blessed. Troy, but he's never going to touch them. I'm afraid.
1: Well, it's a different, it's just a different era, isn't it? But I mean, he's, he's, he's a, he's a hundred percent, you know, he's just, he's just like all of us. He's just sort of, you know, he's got a few, few miles on the clock or whatever, however, you know, I was thinking the same of Cristiano Ronaldo only a couple of days ago and then he scored two goals for Juventus, didn't he, last night, I think. So he's, he's two headers, so he's still, he's still doing it, but he must be. No, 36, 36,
0: 37? yeah he was <laughs> seventeen when he went to manu about twenty years ago so yeah thirty six yeah, yeah zatan yeah. thirty nine buffon forty three yeah yeah um so this book saturday afternoons and sunday mornings when's the deadline
1: oh uh, well i haven't even all i've got to do is i've got all the early stuff for it of, of the of the club but um i've just got to have a uh the final a version of the final sort of five, six, seven years of the club. We've folded in, I think 2012. Uh, So I've got to get a source for that. And then uh, somebody, somebody to speak to and get that because it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be complete without the, you know, the final few years. Which club? Is it St Albans Wanderers? St Albans Wanderers. Hmm. Yeah. They were an interesting club. Um, They had a real diversity of, of, of players. They weren't a pub. They weren't a pub pub team they had a few policemen playing for them they had a lot of school teachers uh, people from business uh people work ken burnshaw worked in an advertising agency in the west end it was a real it was a real mix And, and it was great fun and some you know some good footballers as well you know and really happy times yeah and the trips of course to to germany you know um, the twin town things were were, 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 yeah. were good fun as well, and
0: yeah. that that is referred to in the book from father to son. How fate and family made me a Watford fan. Sixteen ninety nine, published by Pitch in hardback. I hope homeschooling is going as well as you want it to, and that post lockdown you can enjoy going to see. I, I guess your in laws in Spain.
1: Yeah, we're going well. My wife—it's been over a year now since she, she went, and and that wasn't happy last uh, December before last. So it was a, just her, her dad's, my father-in-law's funeral. So that's the last time she's been over there. That's and that's fifteen, fifteen months ago now. So she's—we um, all want to get over there this summer if at all possible. So mm-hmm. maybe catch a Celta game as well, Sella uh That would be good as well.
0: Yeah, and just uh, to to wrap up what we were saying at the beginning. Um, I hope the dreams, schemes, and indeed themes (laughs) populate your next few... But I just loved his voice. Dear theme time. And Paddy Smith uh, doing the intro.
1: Yeah, brilliant. And I'll tell you something as well I've just thought of, Johnny. I'm reading um, the biography of uh, Warren (gasps) Zevon, I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. Yeah. And and Warren Zevon... it's got a track called When Johnny Strikes Up the Band so if you're a music fan you have to look out that track and put it on one of your podcasts as a tribute to the wonderful uh, dearly departed Warren Zevon let
0: us let us no. fade out with it actually let's finish with some music because I love Warren Zevon fantastic oh it's good really a lot really of
1: people good. only know him for Werewolves of London which is a great oh, there's much great better song, songs than that yeah yeah but that's what it, but that's what he's sort of known for which is yeah, it's good but
0: sad So I will, I'll put some dinner on And I will listen to the best of Zevon. But I wish you and family well Come on you Johnny guys. strikes
1: up the band Johnny strikes up the band When Johnny strikes up the band Johnny strikes up the band Johnny strikes up the band